friends, good morning, and welcome to LifeHouse. We are so glad you joined us for worship today. If you have any questions, find someone with a lanyard. Now, here are some events coming up at LifeHouse. If you'd like to strengthen your walk with the Lord and go deeper in the spiritual disciplines, we'd love to have you join us for our Foundations class. This is a seven-week course that covers topics such as Bible reading, prayer, worship, giving, community, and spirit-led living. You'll journal along with classmates and all materials are provided. Classes begin February 3rd and you can sign up by visiting our website or the welcome counter. Join us today for our Lifehouse Connect class. This class will help you understand the role the local church plays in developing disciples and the importance of church membership. Classes take place in our Dream Team Central Room immediately following second service. Lunch and child care is provided, so text the number on your screen and let us know how many adults and how many children will be attending. We hope to see you there. Are you new to LifeHouse? We'd like to invite you to a newcomer's reception at Pastor Ryan and Kelly's home on January 27th. This is your chance to get to know the church a little better, as well as meet other newcomers. Children and questions are all welcome. Space is limited, so sign up on our website or come by the welcome counter. We hope to see you there. This year, 19 people from Lifehouse Church took an amazing adventure to Columbia, where we got to meet our sponsored children and spend time with some of the amazing people of Columbia. so amazing to see all the people on the team meet their sponsored child. They just grew to love each other. Over the week, there was such a bond between every single one of them. changed my life completely. It, um, my, my relationship with God is 10 times stronger than it was when I uh, came to Columbia. If you have even the smallest desire to go, I say just go for it. It is so worth it in the end. You might be scared about leaving your kids or whatever you might leave behind, but it's an amazing trip. Just go for it. All right. Well, if you have your notes, that's what I'm talking about. If you have your notes, grab your notes. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, we're in a series called uh, Pray, Fast, and Give. And uh, we have uh, talked about praying. We've talked about fasting. So guess what? We're going to talk about some giving. And uh, I thought it would be fun to just kind of lighten the mood a little bit. How many of you are familiar with the satire? Uh, it's like a new Christian news satire called the Babylon Bee. Anybody see that on Facebook? A few of you. Uh, it, the, kind of the, they kind of copied the secular version, which is the Onion, which puts out like these, you know, uh, fake news, uh, funny satire, fake news stuff. 
Uh, anyways, the Babylon Bee actually wrote an article about uh, a church that was speaking on tithing, and it is from Goshen, Indiana. Message on tithes and offerings at Maple Street Methodist Church received a surprisingly warm welcome Sunday as congregants responded by giving a full 10% of their attention to the well-prepared sermon. <laughs> I'm impressed by their generosity, Pastor Larry Williams told reporters on Monday. We have to start somewhere, you know, just pay a small amount of attention to a word here, a, a word there. Heck, sometimes I'm happy the congregation even shows up for these services. An encouraging Monday morning staff meeting revealed the remarkable return, giving hope to the financially struggling body of Christ. I usually try to focus and really absorb about 12 to 13 percent of the sermon, so I'm doing way more than my part, longtime church member Ruth O'Neill told reporters. Once in a while, I'll listen to the entire thing as a special, one-time love offering of my time and attention. <laughs> Remember, David Spangler admitted, I only give 1% of, of my attention, blaming the pastor for scheduling the message in the prime of golf season. I have to prioritize, you know. Well, we're going to talk about uh, tithing specifically this morning, uh, and uh, it's it's really based out of the fact that this is a principle that we see in Scripture that uh, I don't really talk a lot about. If you're visiting with us this morning, I, I don't, um, if your stereotype of the church is that they always talk about money, and, and you're here for the first time, and you're hearing a message on money, then God wants you to know about money, and, and I would say that you have not heard very, message, very many of my messages because you would know that uh, this is not a common topic uh, that I speak on. Uh, a few years ago, there was a uh, study done in Christianity Today uh, about how young adults um, have stopped giving financially. Uh, and there was a sentence in there by uh, a pastor uh, whose name is James Williams. He said, Our people, 45 years old and younger, have gr grown up mesmerized by materialism. There's tremendous pressure on families to spend, spend, and spend. And then he adds, I've heard uh, that the generation that believed in the principle of tithing is in one of three places. Retirement homes, nursing homes, or the cemetery. In other words, most Gen Xers and millennials uh, really have lost this understanding of the principle of tithing, uh, or they've just chosen not to practice the principle of tithing. Uh, and I, I really feel like this is a perfect opportunity for us as a church to, to begin talking, uh, not, not begin talking, but to really talk about it because we're not in a place of need. Uh, as I've said, the, the past couple of weeks, we've had the opportunity to sell a portion of our land. And, uh, and prior to even selling the portion of land, as a church, we were in the best financial situation we've ever been in in the life of this church. Uh, we have three months of our operating expenses in, uh, in our accounts, and so we're, we, the, the church council has been very good stewards of, their, of the resources that we have. Uh, but certainly now that we have this influx, uh, we're completely out of debt, and we're going to talk about that next week at our family meeting and celebrate that. Um, we're completely out of debt, and we have this influx of, of resources, of money. 
And it would be easy for us to say, oh, well, then there's not a need there. I don't need to give anymore. And it's precisely why I want to talk about it. Because it really, that has nothing to do with the other. And um, I'm hoping that this message today will be an encouragement to you. First, I would say for many, many of you who already practice the principle of tithing, I hope that today is just a, an affirmation of what you're already doing. Uh, it's an encouragement of, of the faithfulness that you've been operating in, in obedience. And, and I hope that, that today just is a reminder of, of maybe even a reflection to look back in your life and to see how this principle has, um, has affected your life in a positive way. If you've never given... Um, or maybe if you've given periodically what's left over, I, I really want to appeal to you this morning to actually move towards a tithe, and even beyond that, honestly. In the, in the way that you release your, your money out of your hands, that there would be a biblical premise for this in your life. Kelly and I, uh, we have a son, he's 17 years old, uh, just got his driver's license. He's had it for a few months now. And, and, you know, when your kid gets a driver's license, then he has to be insured. And so that then resulted in him getting a job. Uh, because if you've never insured your kid, you're looking at about 100 to $150 a month extra, just FYI, for all of you people who are getting ready to insure your ch children. Um, so he got a job at Whataburger, and uh, uh, so if you want to visit him, Blanco, Whataburger, go, go there. We've been, we've been talking with him about budgeting and, uh, and setting up a, an envelope system, uh, a digital envelope system for his budget. Uh, if anybody, any of you have ever heard of Dave Ramsey and his process, he functions kind of in this envelope process, this budgeting process. And in fact, we have uh, starting a Dave Ramsey course, financial freedom course. Uh, I think it's coming up. Actually, in February, we're launching that. So if you have ever, if you've ever wanted to be a budgeter or wanted to kind of get control of your finances, financial peace would be a great option for you. But so we're taking our son through this uh, process and teaching him the, how to budget and all that and teaching him the principle of tithing. It wasn't new, but now that he's actually getting a regular income into his life, we're starting to, to teach him about it. Uh, and I, I really want this morning for me to, I, I don't know if it's possible, but I, I want to appeal to you, not as the pastor of the church uh, or a teacher, but really as a, as a tither, because this is a principle that I believe in. This is a principle that, that Kelly and I function in and walk in in our everyday lives. Uh, and so I'm really coming to you not, not necessarily as the pastor of the church, and I recognize that that can be a hard uh, distinction to make because it's no secret that uh, my, uh, my salary comes from the tithes of the church, right? And as do all of our paid staff. And so it can be kind of squirrely a little bit here if, if it's like, well, I'm teaching you about tithing, but I'm also, you know, it's like, I think that's a conflict of interest, right? And uh, at the end of the day, it really has nothing to do with any of that. I practice this myself, uh, and, I, and I wouldn't be able to teach it if, if I didn't stand here before you and be able to say that. 
Um, that would be the, the definition of hypocritical. Um, so I want to appeal to you as a tither, as a, someone who believes in this principle. Uh, I also want to just kind of help you understand, because some people don't know this, and uh, I really want to eliminate anything from your minds that might keep you from hearing something from the Lord today. Um, so we have a church council who oversees all the finances of our church, and they determine uh, all of our staff's pay. And it's not just some subjective thing. We actually have a, a, a matrix, a formula, in which uh, all of our base pay starts at the uh, base level of an NEISD school teacher. Uh, brought out over 12 months, and then there's experience and education uh, and different criterias that then increase that, but that's where the base pay starts. And, and so I tell you that to, to just inform you. If you go through our life track or through membership, you will uh, get that same information. I, I share that with people. Uh, we just live in a, a day and age where, again, people kind of have this perception about the church and about the pastors of the church, and I just want to eliminate all of all of that confusion. So I, I, I want to give you some biblical reasons to tithe, uh, and, and I'm going to, I got seven things on your list there that we're going to go through, and I'll make sure you get all the fill-ins, but I may camp a little bit longer on some, and I and I may even uh, deviate a little bit. I've got some questions that I get all the time at the end, and I may even, if we have time, open it up to questions just to the whole congregation if you have questions. So the first in your notes is that uh, we tithe to honor an Old Testament principle. Now, if you call in the Old Testament, God designated one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi, to be the tribe that would have the ministry of the tabernacle and, and the temple. So instead of giving them a portion of the land, God said that these vocational ministers of the tabernacle should live off of the tithes of the other 11 tribes. And it's found in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor any uh, own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. And to the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. So when we tithe today, we honor a principle that's found in, in here. Some of God's people are called to uh, to do work that's not the, the ordinary, like normal money-making business, right? They're called to be pastors and ministers and missionaries and, uh, and help fulfill the work of the ministry. And the rest of God's people are really to be employed and support the vocational ministers. And again, it feels awkward a little bit with me sharing that with you, but it's, it's, it's the premise of this. In the Old Testament, God lays down this, uh, this principle that's to be done through a tithe. The question, though, is often raised whether Jesus in the New Testament continued the principle for the sake of the church. One of the strongest arguments I think we can make is from Matthew 23, 23. It, he's talking to the Pharisees, Jesus is, and he's calling them hypocrites. He's calling them out on this. He says, because you tithe mint and dill and cumin 
and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So you get this picture in your mind where Jesus is talking to these religious people who are actually bringing the tithe. They're bringing their resources to the temple, but then they're living their life without justice and mercy and faithfulness. Because of that, he calls them a hypocrite. And I would say the same thing in our scenario, that if we as Christians, as Christ followers, if we think that we can come to church and by our attendance, you know, uh, be better than other people, or if we think that we can just come and give of a tithe and then go out into the world and not exude justice and mercy and faithfulness, we better be prepared for Jesus to then in turn call us hypocrites. So Jesus endorses the tithing in this, in this sense, and, and really he's saying don't neglect it. It's, it's not as essential as justice, love, and mercy, but he says it's to be done. Well, someone says, might say, well, that's, that's Jesus talking to Jews in a very much Old Testament setting, and maybe that's true, but there's another scripture that the principle was preserved in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. In other words, he reminds the church that in the Old Testament economy, there was a system in which the Levites who worked in the temple, lived off the tithes, brought to the temple. He says in verse 14, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So at the very least, Paul is saying that those who spend their lives in the service of the Word of God should be supported by the rest of the Christians. But since he draws attention to the way it was done in the Old Testament as the model, it seems likely that tithing would have been the early Christian guideline, if not a a mandate. So when we tithe today, we honor a principle and a plan of God that sustained the ministry of the Old Testament. There's no question about that. And most likely sustained the New Testament ministry as well. We talk about the early church in Acts where, of course, they they would bring everything that they owned to the church and they would collectively bring all of that and then share everything that they had. So we could go that way uh, if you want. Um, I'm just kidding. Number two. That was a joke. Everybody relax. Take a breath. Number two, uh, we, we tithe to honor the creator as the owner of all. When we release a tenth of our income and give it over to the mission of Jesus, what we're doing is we're honoring the creator who owns everything, including our income. One objection to thinking of a tenth of of our income as especially belonging to God is is that actually all of what we have belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It's absolutely true. It's why uh, at times when I have talked about money in the past at LifeHouse, uh, it's really been in reference to our uh, a focus on lifestyle. Like, it's not just the giving of our money, but it's it's what, what do we do? Like, show me where you spend your money, and I'll, sh- I'll show you kind of your priorities. 
And so when we've talked about it in the past, it's really been in the context of lifestyle that when we have the opportunity to, to write that check, it's a reminder to us to say to God, not only is this yours, but everything that's left is yours as well. God is wise. He knows us. Right? He knows that there's something wrong with this argument when a, husband, when a wife is complaining to her husband about the fact that she, he never spends time with her, and his response to her is, of, of, what do you mean I, I don't spend time with you? Like, I, I give you my time. All of my time is yours. Right? I, I work all day long for you and the children. That, that, that has a little bit of a hollow ring to it if, if he doesn't give to her especially time. If he doesn't give to her an opportunity for some date nights here and there and, and to set aside some evenings to, to spend with her, then really all, all it is is just uh, it's work and it's all of that. It's why, it's why God declares that, that one day is, is a special day in the context of the Sabbath that all the days, all seven days, belong to him. But one day is especially his. It's the same with our money. Giving God a tenth of our income doesn't deny that all of our money is God's. In fact, it, pro- in fact, it proves that we believe that. It's a, it's a constant offering of the first fruits of the whole thing. The tenth, the tenth is yours, God, in a special way because all of it is yours in an ordinary way. Personally, I believe it should be the first thing that we do after we receive our income to turn around and give God the tenth. And and what it does is when we give it, we're reminding ourselves that everything we have left over, how are we going to prioritize that in a way because it's his as well? So oftentimes what happens is in, in our argument with the Lord is we'll say, well, I'll give you your 10, the rest is mine to do whatever I want with, and I would argue that that's actually not even the case. The first part is yours, and the rest is yours, and I'll do whatever I can to steward the rest of it for the benefit of your kingdom. Unfortunately, how we often operate is we say, God, everything is mine, and I'll give you a little bit of what I have left over. And the challenge with that, and, and I know this may, this may come across a little judgy, um, but it's, just, it's essentially saying to God, I'll give you the change that I have left in my pocket that you're not first, that you're the, the, you're, you're the leftovers in my life. So I, I know that's, that's maybe a little bit hard for some of us to hear, but number three, the cure to coveting. Giving away a tenth of our income to the Lord helps us keep from being covetous. The last of the Ten Commandments, Jesus, or the last of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not covet. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Beware and be on your guard against every form of covetousness or greed. In Colossians 3 5, Paul calls covetousness idolatry. 
wanting things too much is, is incredibly dangerous to our soul. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. See, every time we give a tithe, we must deal with the desire for what you might have bought for yourself. For many of you who have been giving in 2018, uh, you recently at least got a digital form of your, your statement, your giving statement. And if you're like me, it, there's a tendency, if you're not careful, to look at the, the total at the top and think, what else could I have done with that? See, but what tithing does is it removes that question and it removes us from the what else could I have done with it to saying what else would I have done with it? See, God has appointed this antidote and it's giving. It's generosity. He tests us again and again. And what do we desire the most? The advancement of his kingdom or or 10% more security, comfort, and fun? Jesus says, you know where your heart is, but uh, where your treasure is. And tithing is one of, of God's great cures to covetousness. Number four, it governs this ever-expanding spending. It's almost the same as the last one, but not quite. See, when we go to the tithe, and then we move beyond that, as I'm suggesting and working more and more towards, what it does is it begins to caution us in the spending that we do. It's almost like, um, it's almost like the American way is spending expands to fill the income. So you make more, you spend more. And I think in, in, the, in, in the kingdom principle, it's you make more to, to give away more. And, and when you make more, if, if you're spending more, there's really little to no room to be a blessing to anyone. And, and so it's this, it's why in, in our American culture, we have a book that's called Getting By on $100,000 a Year. Right? It's like, ah, here's how you get by. If you make more, you buy more. And the things that you buy have to be stored. No offense, Brian Cesaric. Uh, he's in the storage unit business. It has to be stored, has to be insured, has to be repaired. So spending begets spending, right? You spend more, you have to spend more. And most of the time, we, we don't, you don't even think about it. I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about uh, $30,000 cars. I'll just use that as an example. Um, it, I don't, it's not a judgment if you have a car that's worth that much, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it because it's not within our budget. If I made $200,000, may, maybe that would become just a normal, regular part of how I spend my money at a much lesser rate. It's strange to me that, uh, that when you begin thinking in those contexts to try to level out your spending in order to be a blessing, it's, it's almost countercultural and counterintuitive. I'll give you an example of this. John Wesley, uh, he was one of the great evangelists of the 18th century. He was born in 1703. 
1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. In the first year, his income was 30 pounds, and he found that he could live on 28 pounds, and so he gave away two pounds. In the second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses even, and so now he had 32 pounds to give away, a comfortable year's income. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds, and now he gave away 62 pounds. In his long life, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds a year, but he rarely let his expenses rise above 30 pounds. He said that, the seldom, that he seldom had more than 100 pounds of his possession at a time. It so baffled the English tax commissioner that they investigated him in 1776, insisting that a man of his income must have silver dishes that he's not paying an excise tax on. And so he wrote them, I have two silver spoons at London and two silver spoons at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. When he died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins to be found in his pockets and his dresser. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned in his life had been given away. He wrote, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence. But in every other respect, my own hands will be my executors. In other words, I'll put a control on my spending myself, and I will go beyond the tithe for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. You should know, as I mentioned, that we sold a portion of our property. And when you have... 30 pounds, and you can live off of 28 and you're giving two pounds. That can seem a little simple, although that's still a lot of money in, in comparison. It seems simple. But you need to know as a church that our council believes so much in this that when we sold the property, we will tithe off of that. We will give that away. We'll send that out so it's not a benefit to us, but a benefit for the kingdom. Uh, a few months ago, around Thanksgiving, we had uh, two church planners, uh, Shane and Heather Rogers. They were here uh, greeting you, and uh, as a decision we've made, and, and we're going to celebrate this next week as well, but we've made a decision to, uh, out of those portions, to be able to give them $10,000 as they launch into their uh, church. They start in February uh, into the schools. They've been meeting already. They've been actually meeting for over a year in their home, and then they would have once-a-month gatherings, and now they're ready to launch on a weekly basis. And so we, as a church, get to be a blessing to a church plant that really has not a lot of connection. The story that I shared was that Shane was invested as a youth pastor here, like, I don't know, 18 years ago, a long, long time ago, and was a youth pastor here for a couple years, and gave his life and gave his time to be here. And now here we are as a church, we don't have that relationship from the past, but we have the opportunity to be a blessing in the future. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking every month we tithe out of the resources that we get as a church to help with church planning, to help with leadership development, to, to move into missions. And, and so we, we actually believe so much in this that we tithe on the tithe that we receive and send that out. The last three 
reasons, and by the way, when it, whether it's two pounds or in my son's case, whether it's $20 a week, those seem like small and insignificant things. But when you're talking about tithing off the sale of a church property, you're like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. But the principle is the same, whether it's two pounds, $20, or $500,000. It doesn't matter what the amount is. It's the principle behind it. The last three reasons for moving to the tithe and beyond are all found in one text in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Paul is talking uh, here about giving. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, it's an interesting uh, scripture. I actually talk about that every time we receive the offering. Uh, I say we don't give out of compulsion or guilt or shame. We're not giving to get. It has, God loves a cheerful giver. It ought to be done in the, in the heart of grace and, and not out of legalism as the, as the Pharisees gave. It really should be done as you determine in your heart, as the Scripture says. So number five, God's, it's God's way of bringing about good deeds in our lives. At the end of verse 8, Paul says that when you sow bountifully and cheerfully, you will have an abundance for every good deed. That's the goal. The goal is good deeds. Excess money is for good deeds. These are the things that make your light shine and cause people to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. It's the thing that separates us from the rest of culture. According to Titus 2.13, Christ died to purify himself, a people who are zealous for good deeds. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says that the aim of material bounty is for every good deed. Verse 11 says you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Excess money is given to us so that we can show where our treasure actually lies. By giving it away. Number six, it's God's way of providing for you. Giving is a way of having what you need. Giving in a regular, disciplined, generous way, up to and beyond the tithe, is simply good sense. It's just smart in view of the promises of God. Verse 6 says, He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Then verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency. In other words, the bountiful reaping that's promised in verse 6 is explained in verse 8 by God's pledge to give a sufficiency for us, an abundance of good deeds. Now, here's where we get a little, like, start freaking out a little bit. Because there's a whole group of people who take passages of Scripture like this and twist and pervert them into a, a, a prosperity message 
that says, if you just do this, then you're going to get this, and it's going to be more, and it's going to be that, and all these things, and they make these promises of this and that, and I just want to tell you that's not what I'm talking about here. But let's not miss out on the promise of God that is the true statement of Scripture. Right? It, it seems like Paul's way of kind of expressing that famous scripture on tithing in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, that most pastors often refer to when they're giving a message on tithing. And it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. This is an absolute mind-blowing challenge from God. Test me, he says. You you think that you can't afford to tithe. Well, he says, test me. And what we'll find is that when we test him, we'll find that we actually cannot afford not to tithe. It's really the only safe way to handle our money. So Kelly and I, um, we've lived this in our life. We can honestly say that we've never not tithed as we've been from the point of which we started earning income, we've never not tithed to the church. And, and I tell you that not in a braggy way. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm letting you know that this is a principle that was instilled in us. My parents instilled this principle from the very beginning. Kelly's dad instilled this principle from the very beginning into her life. And as we look over our lives, we, we honestly, we, we look back over the years, we just had this conversation just Two Sunday nights ago, actually it was last Sunday night, uh, we were sitting at our table, our kids were at Next Gen, and, and we're finding ourselves home. We're figuring out what it's going to be like when our two older kids graduate and go off to college. It's just the two of us and our daughter Marley. Um, and we're just sitting there chatting about just God's blessing and favor in our life. And, and again, I, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that as any sort of of, of braggy thing, but on the other hand, I don't want to, I'm not going to apologize for something that I didn't do. <laughs> like, like I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like something that I did in order to get God's favor. I, I, I just recognize that in, in the obedience of carrying that out in my life, I can look back on my life and see God's provision time and time again. And I bet many of you have that, those kinds of stories. I remember uh, once, one of my favorite stories ever, uh, and I'll, I'll share it with you, is um, when we first moved here, uh, one of the first decisions the council had to make was to give us a pay cut. And, uh, and we had brought somebody with us that we were going to pay, and they had to go get a job and stuff, because um, if you don't know this, that when, when I arrived here 12 years ago, the church was about 125 people and, um, and in the first eight to 10 months, about 80% of them left. And, um, you know, I, I, my dad not too long ago said, you got to stop telling people that. Uh, but it's a part of our history. It's a part of our past because it, it's, you can look at that and say, oh, man, that must have been really difficult. But I see God's provision in hand in the midst of that. And so we, uh, Kelly and I had sold our house up in Washington um, we made a profit on that house up in Washington, moved to San Antonio, and we had a down payment for a house here in 2007. And so uh, the problem was is the church had a lease from the previous pastor, and so we moved directly into the, that leased home uh, so that we could get our feet grounded and then determine where we were going to live and all that. So we had been searching for six months 
for a house. And we found this amazing house in Stone Oak. It was within our price range. Uh, it was a short, no, at the time it wasn't a short sale, but it was, it was abandoned pretty much. And, uh, and we thought, this is it. We're going to move out of the lease. We're going to move into our new home. I went to the church council, and I said to the church council, we're ready to end the lease with this home, and we want to buy a house. And uh, it was actually, Mark, I hope you're okay with this. It was actually Mark DeRazio that looked at me and said, yeah, I, we think you need to sign another lease. And uh, I don't know what the look on my face was, but I, here was the problem was is I knew what my wife was going to say when I got home. So I went home and I told Kelly, I think we're supposed to sign another lease. And the first thing I do as the new pastor of the church is not going to go against my church council. So uh, they said to hold off. And my wife was like, well, who's Mark DeRazio? Why is he telling us if we can buy a house or not? And, and so we signed the lease and it took six more months. And we, th- and we thought, well, there goes that house. I'm not kidding you. Not kidding you, the house stayed on the market for six more months, went into a short sale, the price dropped another $10,000, and we were able to buy that same house. And I look at that, and I'm like, well, that doesn't even make any sense in the grand scheme of things. And, and, and yet, because of the faithfulness, because of the wisdom to listen to the counsel of many, because you have people in your life, because of tithing and all of that, it's like God's provision is there. So I use another example, and then and I'll bring some, some clarity to it. But uh, about 18 years ago, my mom had cancer, and uh, um, she was recovering from having cancer from the chemotherapy, and a friend of theirs uh, that, that was in their church offered up a house up in the San Juan Islands off the coast of Washington to just kind of recuperate or whatever. And so we went. And we got to go. We were there for a few days. But then uh, it turns out that there was an opportunity to go back. We missed a year, but then we, we got to go back. And for every year, every year for the last 18 years, we have had the opportunity to go spend time in this just absolutely amazing, beautiful house that this man has given to us as a gift for, for our family. And, and, and we, every time we're there, we, we just cannot comprehend how that is such a blessing from the Lord, a favor from God. And, and I just, that, it's just one example, two examples of things in our life that we can look back on and say, that doesn't even make any sense. And what I'm not saying is that if you start tithing from not tithing, that you're going to get a house available to you up in Washington, right? I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that that our giving purchases blessing in our life. It doesn't purchase blessings. Our giving doesn't purchase miracles in our life. It's not a guarantee of getting rich. It's actually a guarantee of an abundance for every good work, an opportunity to do more good things in this life. It's a, it's a guarantee of sufficiency for yourself, that he will supply all of our needs, not necessarily our wants. It doesn't purchase miracles or blessing, but, but I hope I can say this, and I hope you won't feel judged by it, but I believe this with every ounce of my being, that although it may not purchase blessing and miracles, it can, our giving or lack thereof can restrict them. It tightens the flow of every good work. 
Number seven, I'll just move on past that. It proves and strengthens our faith. In our giving, we should press towards the tithe and beyond because it will prove and strengthen our faith. There's an absolute correlation between faith in the promises of God and peace of mind in giving away what we might think we need, but we don't. Hebrews 13.5 puts it like this, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Why? Because of a promise. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Every time you doubt that you can live on the 90% of your income, let the promise of God strengthen your faith. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So you can see why I care so much about this for my son. In fact, I went back and I, I, I found some, some of these biblical principles from a message in 1995 because I thought, how are we going to communicate this to my son in a way that he gets it, not just now when he's making $200 a week, but when he gets a career and he's making more, that this principle becomes something that's a part of his life and ingrained in him. Because here's the truth. I don't want my son to ever not experience the favor that we've experienced in our life. I don't know what that will look like for him. It will probably be different. I don't know if he'll get to keep going up to the house. You know, it, you know th- he's really benefiting from the favor that we've received. So, you know, but whether that'll continue on, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I'm guessing there's stories and stories and stories where you can look back and see because of the faithfulness of giving in your life that God has provided and supplied all of your needs. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. So I'll give you one last story, and then I'll, I'll give you a couple questions. I, we're not going to actually close our time, I don't think, with worship. We're going to open it up for some questions. But uh, I had a, a guy, I can tell this story now. He doesn't attend our church anymore. He moved away. He got transferred. And um, he, he wanted, to, or excuse me, I wanted him to be on our church council. So I... Uh, when, when there's somebody that I'm looking at for the church council, I actually look at giving records, just in case there's any question about that. Because I have to know that people who are on our church council are actually giving or tithing. And so, um, so I looked, and in this situation, there, there was nothing. There was no giving record, nothing. But I really wanted him on the church council. He's a really sharp guy. And so I decided to have lunch with him and just find out why he wasn't giving. So he, uh, we sit down at lunch. I said, hey, man, I really want you to be on the church council, but uh, I look at the giving records because you, you have to be a, a giving member of our church to, uh, to be on the church council. And I noticed that you, you've never given to the life of our church. I said, I'm not judging you necessarily. I just want to know why. Like, is there something about our church that you don't agree with? Is there a stewardship issue? Is, you know, what, what, what's the reasoning behind that? And his response to me was, I've never been in a church that actually told me what that is. And I realized that I had never told him what that is as a pastor of the church. And and I explained it to him, and he said, well, listen, he's like, like, if if you want me to go on the council and I have to start tithing, I can't go from zero to tithing, like, that's going to that's gonna be a challenge for us as a, as a family, in our budget, all those things. And I said, listen, we don't serve a legalistic God. 
If, if your heart is to move towards the tithe, then move towards the tithe. And the Lord will figure that out. And, and so he said, he said he would and did. And by the time he left, a few years later, um, this person was tithing off the gross of their income to the church and got transferred, got moved away, got a, a job at a, a really uh, amazing, prestigious opportunity for him. And I went back and I got to visit with him back east. And um, one of the things he said to me was the best, one of the best things I ever taught him about the Bible was that time sitting at lunch talking about tithing because of the difference it's made in their life. And they continue to do that to this day. And I, I share that with you because I don't want anybody to be uninformed. Not because we need your money in this state. I don't want you to be uninformed because I don't want you to miss out on the blessing that God wants to do in your life. Will you go to heaven if you never tithe to the church? Yes, absolutely. This is not a salvation issue. But will you restrict and potentially miss out on things that God wants to do in your life if you don't? I believe yes. And there will be others that would disagree with me on that, but I only can say that confidently because I've seen it in my own life. Questions? So uh, it's a little risky uh, to open this up, but I'll just give you a few of the questions, and I'll drag them out long enough so I don't have to open it up to you. Um, isn't giving my time the same as tithing, right? And this is an interesting one because we, do, we are to be generous with our time, with our talents, and our treasure, right? If God has given you a talent in your life, a gift in your life, and you're not using it for his kingdom, then you're withholding that from him. I, I think that's a problem. Uh, your time, if you're not setting aside a time to be with him, if you're not giving him a day in which you can rest in the busyness of this life, that's withholding from him. So it's not the same, but it, it is part of it. It's all of it. We give God all of our life, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Sometimes we want to say, well, well I'm giving my time. Isn't that enough? Uh, and uh, here's the thing. We live in a culture, especially here in this area, in Stone Oak, in San Antonio, where for some, time is actually more valuable than money. And it's because you're so busy making money that you don't have time to do anything else. And I would say this is a hard issue. If, you, if you're so busy that you can't give time to God, then you need to make some sacrifices in your life to give time. And if, if, you, if it's easy for you to give a check for a tithe and not give time to the Lord, I think that's an unequal balance of your life. So it's not one or the other, it's all of the above. I, I just had an interesting conversation where somebody, we're, we're looking at moving into this direction. It's going to, there's a curriculum, it's going to take a lot of time, 12 weeks. And I don't know, and I have people saying, I don't know if I can give that kind of time. And, it, and I would say the same thing in our tithe. I don't think you can afford not to give that kind of time for your life. Can I give to other things and not my church? Like, is that considered a tithe? And it gets fuzzy, right? I mean, it's a little tricky. I believe that uh, the way that Kelly and I have functioned is that we always give our tithe to the church. And then we, anything we can 
do as an offering, we give to other places. Um, whether it's, you know, like we received a, a lavish offering uh, for, for lavish over Christmas, uh, whether it's sponsoring a kid in compassion, we would consider those things as, uh, as a part of our offering, not necessarily our time. Some people would disagree with me on that. Uh, and that's really, you know, you've got to decide in your own heart on what that looks like for you. Um, do you tithe off of uh, the gross of your income or the net of your income? That's the one I get the most. Usually, here's the thing, is usually when people are asking that question, they're trying to, to tithe the, the littlest amount possible and still receive the blessing of God. And, and, I, and I, I know I say that a little bit facetiously, but I would just say I would rather, in fact, in our council meeting, we were talking about the tithe of, our, uh, of the sale of our property, and we're, you know, we're looking at the numbers and you know, what we st- still maintain, all that, and we, we're like, wait, what are we doing? Like, let's just do, I would rather err on the side of more than less. You're never going to outgive God. You're, you're like, it just isn't going to happen. I've never... I have never in my life regretted giving something away for kingdom purposes in my life. What if my spouse isn't a believer? How do I give when, when my spouse doesn't understand it? And we, we actually have a lot of those circumstances in our church. And it, again, this is tricky because I would never tell someone that they should go against the, the will of their spouse um, if sometimes it works, if you actually receive a paycheck personally and, and how you guys manage your, your, your funds is you can do something out of what you make. Um, but oftentimes I just defer to the person and say, I don't want to cause any problems. And, and certainly we don't serve a God that is a legalistic God that's going to be like, oh, if you're not doing this, he understands your circumstance. He understands your, where your spouse is. It, if nothing else, like let's be praying for your spouse, Right for him to come into a, a kingdom experience with God, that's that's what we want. It's it's hard. It, all of this is hard, uh, and so I I just want us to be cautious because I, on one hand I want to I want to talk about the the importance of it, but I also don't want to be legalistic about it to the point of where people feel like I have to do this, and then you're giving out of compulsion and guilt, and that's not of the Lord. Questions. I've ne- it's been a long time since I've opened it up for questions to the church. I used to do it all the time, uh, back when we were much smaller, and uh, I actually used to preach from down here, and the chairs were kind of in a circle, uh, and, and then we've grown, and, and so I've, and, and Ken Solomon used to ask me questions all the time that were embarrassing questions, so I just stopped doing it. It was his fault. <laughs> so, uh, the questions are, are pertaining to giving, to tithing, those kinds of things. If you have questions about what we do with the tithe or any of that, of, of how we function as a church, I'd be happy to share that with you. Any, any questions, just raise your hand. I'll, I'll get a microphone to you as we're going through this. Oh, of course, the first one would be all the way in the back. Um, here, I need, some, I need a, a runner. Hi. Um, should you tithe if you are working on paying off existing debt? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, Dave Ramsey would say no. Um, I, on the other hand, am not Dave Ramsey. I don't, I don't uh, claim to be a financial planner, but I say yes. Um, I believe that when you make that a priority, 
If you, I'm just going to be, I'm going to put myself out there. You guys could disagree with me on this. But I would say that when you make that your priority, when you make the tithe your priority, you'll actually pay your debt off faster than if you don't. So I know the math doesn't make sense, but nothing of God's kingdom ever really makes a whole lot of sense. The whole thing doesn't make sense. Wait a minute, you're saying if I tithe, that God's, there's going to be blessing in my life and all of that? Like, like you're giving away, but you're getting, like none of that makes a whole lot of sense. And so uh, I think that it's actually better to start that principle in the midst of trouble so that you can see God's provision out of that trouble. Oh man, I'm, I'm treading on some ice here, aren't I? So um, some, I see some of you shaking your heads and some of you are like, I, I don't, Dave says no to that. <laughs> and Dave Ramsey, I, I know Dave Ramsey said no, I got the tape. Um, anybody else? Any other questions? That was a good question. I actually forgot to write that one down. I, I do get that one a lot. Yeah, over here. Oh, yep. Hello, this is Caitlin. Hi. Um, I was curious about your opinion on tithing on gift cards and stuff, like gifts given to the church. Yeah, uh, gift cards are tricky. Um, I... I will tell you this, anything that I give, get above and beyond, like uh, in October, uh, the, the church was super generous and gave us a um, staff appreciation gift, I tithe off of that. Anything that's a blessing to me needs to be a blessing to somebody else. And, um, it, but it's, that's a personal thing, right? I mean, it, it, you've got to determine in your heart where that comes from. Uh, I just am not going to ever err on the side of withholding from the Lord. And uh, and so it's just, it's the first thing. When it comes in, it goes out. Gift cards are tricky. You, how do you, I mean, I, here's, here's how much I believe in this. You guys know that I collect points and miles, right? I'm, that's my hobby. It's, I'm a nerd that way. I tithe off of my points and miles. I look for opportunities to send someone somewhere for a convention or a conference or something along those lines where I'm giving 10% of away of my points and miles. Don't bombard me with a bunch of requests, um, but, but, I, but that's how I feel about it. I mean, honestly, because that, that's a benefit. It's a blessing from the Lord, and I, I don't want to mess that up. Yeah, over here. Pastor, I appreciate everything you said today. Um, I have a question. You mentioned something out of Malachi 3, and so that made me think of a verse right around there, and I wanted to hear your take on it. Scripture states that I will pour you out a blessing so large you won't have room to contain it all. And it says he'll open the windows of heaven over you if you do what you're talking about today. I just kind of want to hear your take. What do you think that is, and how does it manifest in our, in our lives? Um, I can only speak from, from my own perspective on that, that I have, I feel that in my life. Um, I, it's not because I've gotten this huge outpouring of, I didn't win the lottery or anything, I don't think. I, I haven't played, so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, maybe I haven't, a lot of, no, I don't. I, I look at it in the health of my marriage, in the health of my, the relationship with my children. I, I see God's 
I see heaven being poured out in my life, not just in a monetary uh, fiscal thing. I see it in all aspects of opportunity and to be able to speak into things and, and with, my, with mine and Kelly's marriage. And I would never um, take advantage of that or presume upon it, but I recognize his, his provision. And, you know, I, whether I can contain it, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can contain it, but I look forward to the day I can't. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question necessarily, but uh, anything else before we, we close our time together? So first, so, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, where? Oh, yeah, right here. Yes, hi. So I'm 17. Uh-huh. And um, like Jacob, that's a lot of other, I yep. wish you a lot of other kids were that are my age. Um, I want to know how teenagers can do it because I know a lot of kids, because I used to come to youth a lot. Mm-hmm. We're all very connected. Yeah. I have a strong connection. I just want to know how we can do it. Sure. Um, well, my, my son gives just like everybody else does. So you have the opportunity. A lot of times, you know, my, when my son got his checking account, they didn't give him any checks. He's like, I don't even know what those are. Um, he'd never seen his check in his life, which is problematic probably and a fail on my part. But he's got a debit card, and you can go online, and you can, you can give that way uh, through the website. Um, I... I just think it's the same, and I think, you know, if you're making $200 a week working at a, at a store, now's the time to begin that principle and instill it into your life, and, and just watch as, as God's blessing and favor throughout your life takes place. It just, it, it's, it's the principle. It is. Anybody else? So, funny story, uh, first service, was there somebody else? Oh, I'm so sorry. I, the lights are so bright, I can't see. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, tithing to the church versus giving to charity? Yeah, um, I would say that from a biblical standpoint, it needs to be kingdom-minded. Uh, some people say, "Well, I give to, um, uh, I give to like uh, PETA, or I give to um, some other charities that aren't necessarily kingdom-minded that are advancing the kingdom of God." Um, so whatever you end up doing, it needs to be advancing the kingdom of God. Um, I, because of the, the first point that I made today, I believe that we have a responsibility if this is our church family. If it's not your church family, then you shouldn't be giving here. But if this is your church community, you're building relationship here, um, I believe that the tithes should come to the church. Uh, and then anything above and beyond that that you want to do is is what would be considered an offering. Like it's it's not the tithe; it's an offering above and beyond. And it's and we're looking for more ways to do those things by by limiting our spending so that we have as as our income goes up, our spending stays the same. And now we can look for opportunities to do that. I used an example in first service uh, with the government shutdown. Uh, a friend of mine uh, from our church was telling me that he was able to because he's lived that principle. Um, they have friends in uh, Florida that are affected by this. They were able to send them money to take care of their groceries and uh, kind of keep them afloat during this season. And he said, I could never have done that if, if my spending looked like my income. Um, so I would say it's above and beyond. And he would say in that scenario, I, I wasn't sending my tithe to them. I was sending an offering to them. Um, first service, I... Uh, I talked about tithing, and then I didn't receive the offering. It's kind of funny. Um, or maybe God, I don't, I don't know, because uh, it would have felt a little bit awkward, but we are going to receive an offering. 
Um, in first service, we had two baptisms, Alex and um, Sarah, and they shared a testimony that uh, you don't get to see because you're here at second service. And uh, I'm going to ask Miguel to make sure that at least the testimony portion, depending on which service we use, gets up on the, on the website. Um, because it, it, it was a story of, of two people coming together, one growing up in the church, one not, one um, coming back into her relationship with Christ, and the other one coming into a relationship with Christ, and now they're getting married next week. And the first thing they wanted to do before they got married was get baptized. It's just a beautiful story about um, what God's done in their life. And so I, I really hope that you'll have the opportunity. Maybe we'll post that if we get their permission on Facebook uh, for you to take a look at. But what I did in uh, first service, I'm going to do again in second service, is uh, I want to pray for all of our marriages in our church. And uh, so I'm going to do that in a second. Let's get the ushers here, and then I'll give you some instruction on what that's going to look like. We're going a little bit long today, and I apologize for that. Ushers, go ahead, come, and let me pray for our offering. You can also drop the card in the basket as it goes by. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity even to just gather here today and to, uh, to learn. That's what we're doing is this is informational. And for some, this may be brand new information that they've never even heard. For others, maybe something that they've heard for a long time but never have put into practice. And for many, this may just be a reminder of the faithfulness that they've been living in. And, and so, God, I... Uh, I pray as I do every single Sunday that as we give, we don't give out of compulsion or guilt or shame. Uh, this, is not a, this is not a purchase agreement. This is not about uh, giving so that we can get. This is about giving to, to prioritize and recognize that everything that we have belongs to you in the first place. We give, but we also recognize that what we have left is yours too. We give as, a, as an understanding of your promise in our life to never leave us or forsake us, to always supply all of our needs. And we do, the, we do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, go ahead. And then uh, I'm going to invite, after the basket goes by, I'm going to invite you to stand if you are married, uh, even if your spouse isn't here. Um, so if, you, if you're married and your spouse doesn't come with you or they happen to be serving or something along those lines, that you would just still stand. Uh, here's what I believe is, um, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one to, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to say that because I, I think that's shifting in my life. Here's, here's a sense I got on Friday at about 2 o'clock. I felt like the Lord had shown me that marriages specifically in our church uh, were absolutely under attack, um, that, that the enemy of our soul was going to do whatever he could to wreak havoc in the, in the marriages of, of our church, uh, and in some ways has, has done that to some extent. And I don't, want, I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable or awkward about that, but I just, uh, here's what I would tell you is it, it, it um, I'm using better, mature words. It, it ticks me off that the enemy would think that he could do that. And, and so I just want us to take a stand. I don't care how healthy you think your marriage is, we should be on a swivel, right? We don't walk in fear, but we should always be proactive to think, if the enemy can do anything to come into your life and attack your life, he'll do it. If he can find a crack, he'll find the crack. 
And so what we're saying today is, I don't care what, what he thinks he can do, we know that the God of heaven hears us. And we know that the God of heaven does not want that damage in your life. And so we're praying for his kingdom to come in your life. For We already know what his will is. His will is for life and life abundantly and relationship and, and, and that all of that would be something of a life-giving thing for you. Even in a circumstance or a situation where you may have a spouse who doesn't believe, that there's still life that can come in the midst of that. And so I want to I pray over you if that's okay. Father, in fact, just raise your hands. Father, I pray for every person that's standing right now. It's not that there's not things that the enemy tries to do in single people's lives or other people's lives or any of that, but specifically, I discern that this is something that needs to be addressed and something that needs to stop in the name of Jesus. That, God, that your hand of protection would be on them, that there would be a covering over their homes, not because you forced your way into it, but because each person standing here would say, God, would you cover me? Would you cover my home? Would you cover my marriage, my relationship? And that there would be this invitation of hope and life into each married individual here. God, we trust you. We put our trust in you. We love you. And say, God, would you do a miraculous work? You are a God of miracles, and you raise, you raise people from the dead. You can raise marriages from the dead in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Enemy, you have no authority or place in these marriages. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Be blessed as you go, and uh, we'll see you next week. Next week, we're going to do our family meeting. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll celebrate, and we'll see you next week.